Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Informative and entertaining. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. If you're following the uh, United States chase for the Oval Office to replace Barack Obama, uh, did you watch any of the um, any of the debate between Bernie and Hillary? Interesting, isn't it? The president uh, would be president, so first name basis now. Bernie and Hillary feel the burn. I was watching the two of them, and I thought, Good Lord, how old are they? Nothing against age, all right. Climbing the ladder myself. But I thought, if you take Bernie, if you take Hillary, you combine their ages, you'd have to get them together for an early bird special for dinner somewhere, no? Just a thought. So the GOP guys go at it and Gal go at it, although they're not going to let Carly Fiorina into That is such a joke. She deserves to be in that debate. Anyway, they're going to go at it tonight. And Donald Trump is starting to, his, his lead is starting to be eaten into by uh, Marco Rubio and Ted, opportunist, Cruz, next Prime Minister of Canada. So I'm going to pay very close attention to that, and then tomorrow we're going to have Fran Coombs back with us, the uh, managing editor of, um, what happened to my brain? Um, <laughs> Rasmussen Reports, polling firm. And uh, he's going to give us a sense of, of what happened. We'll know who the winners are. And then I'll have some questions for you about the uh, U.S. election going forward. A lot going on. A lot going on. The Gian Gameshi trial. Now, we talked in the last half hour about violence toward women. Dalia Israel, manager of victim services and outreach programs for women against violence against women, was with us. And so now we have the Gameshi trial facing, uh, with him facing counts of sexual assault and overcoming resistance by choking four counts of sexual assault. The trial has been marked by tough cross-examination of complainants by Gameshi's lawyer, and actri- actress Lucy de Couture was, uh, I always have trouble with the name, I had lousy pronunciations, was presented with emails she'd written to Gameshi after his alleged physical attack on her. And one email ends with, I love your hands. Another email is quite suggestive. So, how does a former prosecutor and now criminal defense lawyer view that trial so far? The performance of the defense, the prosecution, and where the case may be headed. Jeff Manishin is a partner at Ross and McBride in Hamilton. He's handled many, many major cases in this country. Um, sexual assault cases, murder cases. And uh, I was going to ask Jeff about the Tim Bosma trial in Hamilton, but there's a conflict of interest there. But I, I, I will ask him one question. About and we're going to start with this. Let me just ask you this question, Jeff. Just as a um, just just to lead things off, when you have um, if if you have somebody who's who's facing a murder charge, and there's no known or suspected connection between the person who's facing the charge and the person whose life was stolen, what's the biggest cha- challenge for for a lawyer taking on a case like that? Well, I would say, Roy, uh, there's really two halves of the approach in relation to it. And the first one is to evaluate the nature of the evidence that the prosecution has connecting the accused with the crime. Is it DNA evidence? 
Is it uh, ID evidence? Is it wiretap evidence? Um, is, uh, is there a body of circumstantial evidence that connects the accused, and I'm talking in general, connects the accused with the incident? And how strong does that combination of circumstantial evidence become when viewed in totality to show he, did, he or she did do it? And, of course, part and parcel of that is, is it admissible or not? Are there bases upon which one can challenge the admissibility of the evidence? But what's unique in that situation, too, Roy, can be the other half of the equation, if your client's position is that he or she is not responsible, can you do anything to develop any potential case for an alternative suspect? And I've, I've had that exact experience uh, probably about over 20 years ago. It was a whodunit homicide. My client's position was he didn't do it. And I had to push the crown for aspects of the police investigation that tended to indicate that there was at least another person who was a real suspect. And part of what I had to do and dig and develop was to try and see if I could build a case to show that other person was actually the perpetrator. So that's the approach that you take. Uh, as a defense counsel, when faced with, we'll call it a whodunit homicide. Tremendous amount of preparation for uh, for cases, particularly, I, well, I shouldn't say particularly, but I'm thinking maybe particularly for those that have national or, or major media uh, exposure. And before I get into the Gameshi trial, is there is there any rule of thumb that's applied for defense lawyers, for criminal lawyers, on how much time you actually spend preparing for a case? No, uh, that's one of the challenges to the job as well, Roy. To some extent, there could be an endless amount that if it's a whodunit type of homicide, uh, there's a lot of digging that you may need to do. You may need to retain a private investigator. Um, you're really going to try and look into a whole host of different angles and issues, uh, as well as seeing what you can find to support your client's position. Is if, for example, there's an alibi where he was at the time. What if you have a situation where there's a gap in time between the, the killing and your client being arrested, such that it may be difficult for him to be able to reconstitute where he or she was at the time. So there's a lot of work in that regard. Legal issues are always capable of need for research. Forensic issues, you don't know how far you can go, but there are, we know of cases of wrongful convictions as a result of bad expert evidence, where had further digging been done to develop a basis to challenge the prosecution expert, the person may never have been convicted. Yeah, a lot of work goes into prepping oh, yeah. for, for a case. A lot of work. It's like people say to me in, in radio, well, you must just sit down and just start to talk. <laughs> sure. Uh, there's about three hours or four hours of prep that goes into every hour that goes on the air. And I would imagine there's probably even more for you guys and gals. Oh, okay. So let's go to the Gameshi trial. What impact does, let me start with this, Lucy de Couture's email introduced in court by John Gameshi's lawyer in which Ms. de Couture appears to have written to Gameshi and hours after she testified, Gameshi had physically and violently assaulted her, but she wanted to have very physical sexual relations with him. The quote was from the email, you kicked my behind last night, and that makes me want to mm, your brains out. Is that a game changer? Well, it certainly can be. And, and we have to measure it against what evidence she has given. Because the evidence she has given is clear and unequivocal that she was subjected to significant physical, reasonably significant physical abuse to which she did not consent. And which rendered her so distraught and so upset, her position was she didn't want anything to do with him, that it was a very upsetting incident that stayed with her for some period of time afterwards. And when she was interviewed, and she gave, I think, 20 different interviews, but certainly interviewed by the police. I saw a clip the other night, Roy, where she was asked by the officer, is there anything else you should tell us about, anything else we might, we should know? No, no, there isn't. 
Well, juxtaposed against that, then, is if in a matter of hours, she's not doing anything other than indicating that whatever happened was something that she was okay with. Certainly would seem to be. I don't know the full detail of what she's referring to by the, quote, you kicked my ass last night. Is it the same thing she's talking about now? Is it less than that? What, what is she referring to there? And the challenge became, of course, she had not told the police or any other interviewers about it. When confronted with it, that became very difficult. And she had to try and explain that she was trying to put a, a, a recollection on it or a sense of it that maybe he was more of a friend than he actually had been. Well, those two positions are pretty diametrically opposed. So what does it constitute to constitute support that something happened between them was of a physical nature, but not, it would seem, something that she found that objectionable, that she would be frightened and uh, resistant and reluctant to have anything to do with him in the future. Okay. She, by the way, I think, denied any ongoing sexual interest in him after that night. Mm-hmm. Well, the second part of that email would seem to suggest otherwise. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with uh, more with Jeff Manishin on The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. People do reach conclusions, I think. People generally, just in the in the, uh, in the the general population, on guilt or innocence, before even before a trial takes place, often based on charges or maybe a, a, an individual celebrity, on what is read and what is heard and what is viewed on social media. We're going to come back with Jeff Manishin and uh, more questions for him about the what he's observed, and I'll also ask him what he's seen as far as other criminal lawyers and what their observations of this particular trial are. Now, there's been a lot said about John Gomeshi's defense lawyer being, um, what I've read, is extremely effective. But I haven't heard a lot said about the, the, the Crown attorney who's leading the charge. We'll come right back. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, all along the Chorus Radio Network. Yes, you are. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com and follow me on Twitter at the Roy Green Show. Almost sounds like a command, eh? Follow me on Twitter. You better follow me on Twitter. Okay, let's do that. You better follow me on Twitter. Uh, when you find yourself at London Drugs in Western Canada, a Rexall Pharmacy in Ontario, or a natural products retailer anywhere coast to coast, and your intention is to purchase a product to help you with joint pain, I recommend the product which has eliminated all my joint discomfort, not knocked it down from an 8 to a 6, which the stuff you've been spending your money on maybe has, but in my case and in the case of thousands of Canadians, eliminate a joint pain, all of it gone. What you want to wrap your fingers around is Sierracil, either the original joint formula 14 or Sierracil joint formula active with curcumin. Within days, 14 at the outset, most Canadians will feel no more joint pain, like none, like zero. All natural, all mineral, and truly effective. Sierra Sil. You can also call one eight seven seven roy 1020 and order Sierra Sil from this Canadian company. one eight seven seven roy 1020 And you know, if you're not happy, Sierra Sil will refund your money. doesn't happen very often. That's Sierra, like the mountains, and then you just add the S, the I, and the L. By the way, Sierra Sil is the best seller at many natural products retailers, and you know why? Simple. It works. Back to Jeff Manishin, criminal lawyer in Hamilton, partner with Ross and McBride. And uh, Jeff is giving us his perspective on the John Gameshi trial. So, uh, Jeff, when a woman charging sexual misconduct or complaining about sexual misconduct or sexual assault, 
and then the charge is laid. I'm not sure whether it's police or the Crown in Ontario. Is it police? It's the police that okay. lay the charge. That's right. Okay, so when the charge is laid, and then the when when the woman is grilled by a defense lawyer, the lawyer can often be viewed as a bully, and the guy is getting away with it. The credibility of the accuser seems to be, at least I think in the minds of some, undermined. Is that is that a strategy? Is it a good one? Is it a lasting one? Well, I, I guess let's start with the whole original premise. Um, when you have an allegation made of any kind of criminal offense, the individual, in the eyes of the law, is presumed to be innocent. And there's no special category for an allegation of sexual assault, and no special category of a woman alleging sexual assault is thereby imbued with a higher level of presumption of truth. There isn't a presumption of truth. And I think that there are those who would say, well, there should be. Because why would a woman make an allegation such as this? Why would anyone make an allegation such as this? Unless it were true. So we're going to start with that presumption and view everything else that follows from the presumption she's telling the truth. Well, that's not the way I operate. That's not the way the justice system operates. That's not really the way that society should be operating. But public perception can grow there. Oh, it can. And And it does. And it can get fed. And, And frankly, I will tell you, defense counsel don't generally do a lot to be able to try and say, hang on, everybody. Just a moment. Let's try and keep an open mind. We don't really have the public ears and or ear and eye. I mean, you've given me an opportunity on many occasions in the past to put the position forward, but it isn't always afforded that consistently and that readily, right? And people as well say, "Oh, he's just a defense counsel, so he's just pitching for his own." Conviction. He's in it for the money. Yeah, he's in it for the money, and he's dep- representing these 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 criminals. Well, no, no, they aren't yet. <laughs> it's an allegation. If it was you that was charged, wouldn't you like to have a vigorous representation? Yeah. You'd say, but I didn't do Darn it. Right everybody it presuming I did. How about ensuring I got not only a fair trial, but how about a fair viewing in the court of public opinion, please? Can't I be entitled to that? And then further, if we start from that premise, it's not beating up on the witness at all. It is challenging the evidence of the witness. It is challenging the credibility of the witness and the reliability of the witness because that's what the individual charged is entitled to because, Roy, the social consequences, personal consequences, the stigma of a conviction for sexual assault is lifelong. And if you don't do that for your client, you're not doing your job. Exactly. And you're, not, you're also not being fair and you're not living up to the fundamental cornerstone of, of democratic justice and that is innocent until proven guilty. Right. And then, heaven forbid... The person is wrongly convicted. And it's very difficult, by the way, true, too, to be able to get that, ever get that corrected. That's what judges how often, tell juries. How often have you seen that happen? Oh, wrongful convictions for yeah. sexual assault offenses have occurred and have occurred on a number of instances. There are cases where the wrong person is convicted and it turns out that DNA evidence reveals it's somebody else. But the life is destroyed, the case, right? The case years ago in New York City in Central Park, the, the five young men who were charged with uh, sexually assaulting a woman jogger, Right. And the police leaned on these young, naive guys, and there's a very good documentary about it, to yeah. confess, and they made false confessions. And years later, it turned out that what came to light was there was a real good body of evidence as to another guy who was perpetrating sexual offenses around the same time in the same area, and the police didn't adequately investigate that. And these guys did years in jail for a crime they didn't commit. And, and I will tell you this, too, Roy, I'm sure there are people who have been convicted of sexual assault wrongly, and we may never know that, because it may be that a judge, that a jury chose to rely upon a potential emotional reaction, a preconditioned reaction to say, well, she's making the allegation, it must be true. How does the guy prove his innocence? He doesn't have to. There's no burden on him to show why she's making, or the complainant is making the allegations. But I will tell you, I have dealt with a number of cases, Roy, 
where I have caught sexual assault complainants either lying or being so manifestly unreliable that their evidence has been rejected. And I try and do it professionally, responsibly, but sometimes it's got to be vigorously. It's not a beating up exercise at all. The public might see it that way. It isn't. What it is is trying to do your job fully and professionally. And and protecting the, the rights of your client. Exactly right. Doing, doing, doing what you're hired to do. What I'm interested in, you know, you said you, I, I give you the opportunity to, to make the case for the criminal lawyer. I've almost found your positions to be very interesting, very thoughtful, and you and I have had, we've gone at it hammer and tongs and over, over the years on, on cases, and, you know, it's not your fault you lost all of those, Jeff. But. Uh, can I replay some of the tapes? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll play them all back. Yeah. Listen, uh, l- let me ask you this. I, I, I want your perspective. But what's also being said, let's broaden the field here, what's being said among criminal lawyers across the country. What are you seeing? What's the reaction about how this case is being handled? Not only how the defense lawyer is doing, but how's the Crown doing? Well, I, the sense I certainly am getting amongst defense colleagues is they're impressed with the work Ms. Hannon is doing, and they feel that they've made, she's made significant inroads in undermining the strength of the case for the Crown. One small point I can tell you, too. The Crown, at the end of this case, may be arguing the doctrine of similar fact evidence, to use one count to support the other. But an important legal issue in relation to that is this. If a judge was not prepared to accept the evidence of complainant number one, then it's not going to be of any value in supporting the evidence of complainant two, or vice versa. If the judge is not really fully satisfied on complainant two, then that evidence is of no help in complainant one. Do you know what I'm saying there, right? I do, I do, yeah. A weak body of evidence doesn't help another one. Mm-hmm. And there's a third complainant coming, so we'll see. So I think defense counsel across the country are feeling that certainly, number one, she's doing an excellent job. Number two it is still difficult to overcome the perception that there, she's too aggressive or that she's, uh, she's beating up or being unfair when we feel it's not the case. People don't recognize the job. The yeah. Crown's job so far at this stage, Roy, really, when you're leading evidence and examination in chief, you aren't the star. Your job is not to be the star. Your job is to lead the evidence and make sure everything come comes out fully. The witness is really the focal point of attention. Okay. If I'm just going to leave you with one. Well, then you get your opportunity. You get your at-bat. We have 30 seconds. Uh, I'll leave you with this thought. This is a trial by judge. Um, I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more of trial by judge, fewer trials by jury, simply because social media is so active and uh, might not, might poison the well for jurors. What do you think? Well, I, it, not, it, it could be the case in relation to some high-visibility cases, high-profile cases. I'd like to think, though, let's try it differently, Roy. If we assume, and again, it's without... I have 10 doubt, seconds. If he's found not guilty, and, and people understand that complainants can give evidence and may be unreliable and may be discredited, maybe that will prompt juries to say, gee, in a future sexual assault case, how do I know for sure that I can believe this complainant? Because okay. it does happen. Always good to have you on the show, my friend. Thank you, Jeff Manishin. Great pleasure. Thanks, Roy. All the best. Jeff Manishin, uh, partner at uh, Ross & McBride in Hamilton, Ontario. We're back after this.